an age of blockbusters, audiences were gripped by fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the obscure, until one man showed them there was nothing to fear. Cinephobia. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the inaugural podcast for Cinephobia. I'm over here. This is your host, JP. I'm joined by my film friends, Mr. Russell Coker, actor, writer, director, producer. And I'm also joined by Mr. John Balin, editor. Very tired. Been up for many, many hours editing. So we're going to uh, we're gonna talk about this film, which we just saw, which is... The Prophet. Un Prophet. Yeah, that's right. It's a very foreign film that was not made in America, but maybe the subtitles were. Very interesting, unique cinematic piece that uh, was two and a half hours long. Indeed. Indeed. It, it was very long, but still a very good film. I, I enjoyed it. Um, Mr. Balin, I know that this is probably one of your favorite films, right? Um... I don't know if I'd say it's one of my favorite films, but I I do love it. It's a it's a great one. Um, it's too bad it came out in a in a stacked year, uh, for the foreign film category when it came out. It uh, it was up against the White Ribbon that won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Uh, Un Prophet won the Grand Prix, which is like the second prize at Cannes, and uh, mm. neither of those films even won. The really? Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Feature. No, it went to the uh, the Secret of Their Eyes, the oh, Argentinian fuck. film. Never that's, fucking heard of it. That's a that's an amazing one too. Apparently, they kept it a secret from us. Yeah, the Prophet was a big hit when it came out in theaters I internationally, mean, international, and in America. Wow. It was a big hit. Yeah. Wow. When did it come out? Because I know in the movie, like, the dude was looking at PlayStation 2s in the store, oh, yeah. so it must be yeah. at least 10 years old. I think it was 2009, right? Yeah, 2009. It, uh, it was playing at the Arclight here in 2010. Huh. Yeah, that was when we all saw it. So 10 years ago. 10 years ago, this movie dropped. Just right about. on the dot. I know that um, Sam Raimi was looking to do an American remake of it at one point, but uh, I don't think that ever got off the ground. I know that was one of his favorite films or something that he really liked. It's been a few years. I don't think anything's coming. Probably not going to happen. Probably Probably not. Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to see it. Could be the same thing, but with alligators. With alligators and Tobey Maguire. Yeah. It could be good. Who knows? Let's get on that, Sam. So my impression of the film was, I've I've been excited to watch this for a while. I heard a lot of really good things about it, a lot of directors referencing it, and I guess I thought it was going to be a little bit more over-the-top, gory, and gangster than what it really was. I was expecting something more grisly and and, and, and just a little bit more, I don't know, Goodfellas-ish would be the word, but I guess I, I would um, I would compare it a little bit more to the Italian um, indie gangster film uh, Gamora, which I know that Scorsese uh, helped distribute in the U.S., which was very, you know, streets and, you know, not very glamorous. You know, you can't really compare this movie to like a Goodfellas or like The Godfather compared to, yeah. you know, the look of it and everything. Yeah, the best description I've seen of this movie is probably that it's Scarface in a French prison. But mm. he's also like going through a spiritual connection with God. Yeah. 
That's a good way to put That's it. Yeah. Maybe the coolest part of the movie for me, at least. So the title, The Prophet. So this, I only saw one time where it was actually something that he prophesized was when they were about mm-hmm. to hit the deer. It was the dream of yeah. the deer. Yeah. Sees it coming, yeah. But I mean, was there any other part that he prophesized? Um, not necessarily. It's more about the similarity of his ascension in the, the ranks of the criminal underground. Uh, in comparison to other prophets like Jesus Christ or Muhammad from their humble beginnings to becoming, like, famous people. Like, there's that scene where he's... After the exchange, when uh, he drops off the briefcase and then he gets Santi in return, when Mm -hmm. he's carrying him back to the car, Yeah, it's a lot like... Oh, Jesus carrying the cross. Oh. Right? Jesus walks alone on the sand. Yeah. He and got then sand in his shoe. A big one is um, him wrestling with the angel in his dream. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And I then, thought he was getting, getting something bad was going to happen to him. I yeah. didn't realize he was asleep at first. I'm like, that progressed quick. Just visions of... I guess I guess Ryab kind of becomes his guardian angel a little bit. In a way, yeah, because yeah, he keeps on trying to push him towards like Islam and, and education, yeah, which which he does, and you know, kind of helps him out in the long run because mm-hmm. he's he's able to kind of become the big boss guy. Yeah, at the end, the description of Scarface in a, in a French prison really really nails it on the head there. Um, quite as over the top as Scarface is, but no, definitely not. Not as stylized or anything like that. But still, still very engaging and uh, very immersive. You just kind of yeah. fall into this 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 French prison world, and uh, this character who uh, you don't really know anything about at first, and then you don't really know anything about his past throughout the whole film. Really, yeah. it's just kind of you just kind of follow him. Well, it was kind of mentioned that he was educated in a youth center and ran off when he was eleven. All right. We take place at nineteen, so I assume he's been living on the streets basically that whole time doing petty theft or whatever. Because mm. he was in at, in the beginning, they said he was put in for uh, assaulting a cop or something like that. That's right. Yeah. And that's how he caught six years. I guess that I I don't know what what the time. I feel like if that happened here, he just the movie would take place in the morgue and be about five minutes long. But I guess over overseas, they're a little yeah less uh, you know shoot first, ask questions later. Which in this you know spoiler alert, but they straight up carjacked and killed the main dude's bodyguards in broad daylight. I was like. Yeah. You know, I guess maybe 10 years ago, there aren't as many, nobody really had cell phone cameras, so I guess it's believable, but I was just like, that's ballsy, and I know out here that maybe that, I don't know, I guess I don't know anyone who's carjacked and murdered a bunch of people in broad daylight, so who knows, maybe it would work. I mean, they did it in Sicario, too, I remember they kind of had some scenes like that. They were just so brazen with it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so. I guess he was just kind of like, you know, this, this has to be done, and I got to yeah, do it, yeah. and this is the only opportunity we got, so fuck it. Yeah. But it was pretty crazy how he just fucking hopped in the car. Pop, pop, pop. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then that little slow motion shot, you know, of him mm-hmm. just like, what, mm-hmm. was he smiling as the bullets were, were yeah. flying over his head? Uh-huh. Is, is that sort of showing that he's enjoying uh, this this life of crime that he's uh, got himself into, or what's the significance of, of that? 
Uh, I mean, I think that's he definitely kind of, thought he was going to die. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it was he. He, he thought he was going to die, or you thought he was going to. I I think he knew there was a good chance he wasn't coming out of it alive, yeah, and then just mean, the fact that he did. I think he kind yeah. of was at peace with whatever was going to happen because he was just so stressed out with what he had to do. You know, maybe if we're going down the spiritual path that could be considered his second birth where he mm. the old him basically died at that point because he had to do that you know at mm. first it was by survival but now it's right. like once he did that he was basically the boss so yeah. it was kind of the death of his his former self and then from there he ascended to you know or I don't know. What and he was literally buried under the dead body. He had yeah. the dead body on him, and then he pushed it off, and pa 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 pa, and then he climbs mm. out the back seat. You know, so so it could yeah. be metaphorically his rebirth, like he's shedding mm. this old self. One of my favorite things every time I show this movie to someone is they all have the same reaction, which is that French prisons are just so much nicer, yes, than American prisons, yeah. yes. And the irony of that being that. Jacques Audiard, the director, he was like inspired to make a movie like this when he went to see a screening of one of his movies at a French prison with all the prisoners. And he just could not believe how like terrible the living conditions were. Really? And then every time every time I'm showing someone this movie, they can't believe like the big plate of food he's getting and a baguette. Yeah, the baguette. And he's got a room to himself. The bread, the TV. And he's got his own clothes. He's not just in a jumpsuit. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Seems, I'd rather go to prison in France. That was definitely one thing that stuck out to me, too. And I think that kind of uh, kind of maybe killed the, the, the atmosphere that the director was trying to establish. No, by this I think grieving. it's a culture thing. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just weird. Our prisons just suck. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even in Norway and a lot of other places, like, the prisoners can literally get a weekend pass and just leave and come back. And they literally have, like, PlayStations and TV. And, like, it's actually, I forget which, probably Norway and some of those other European countries, but, uh, it's like against the law to put people in solitary confinement because it's considered really? inhumane reformative type of uh emphasis because there mm-hmm. they basically let him leave to work quote unquote but right. obviously he wasn't doing the kind of work they thought he was doing that work. uh so yeah it's just interesting to see from a cultural side like that just looks like a fucking day camp yeah like, you know it was a little vacation yeah pretty much so yeah, that, I think uh, I think any American audience probably going to see that and be like, "Wow, they got it pretty good over there." Mm. I don't know. While watching the whole movie, I couldn't help but think of uh, the the prison scene and and Goodfellas, you know, where they're all in there and they got their own cell and they're all yeah. making their own food and they're doing their own thing, you know. I think one thing to mention is uh, the soundtrack, how it includes a lot of uh, uh, American songs. Mm-hmm. You got the Nas song on there. I think you got a Bob Dylan song. Bob Dylan at the end, yeah. Or what, what was the whole rationale behind using that? Um, I'm asking you like you're the filmmaker, like you know, but just your opinion. I mean, it's possible. I don't know what songs are popular in France. Like maybe those are like hits at one point or another but it, it also could just be that like those songs fit yeah they just tempt it with that and yeah, then that could be kept it. it it's a great all-around film um i'm really curious how much it costs to make it and it was, uh, 13 million 
13 million. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. But that was fucking what? 2005 money, 2009 money. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Probably like 15 to 20 million now. Something like that. Interesting. That's a little bit higher than I would have uh, expected. Maybe maybe some of the people in it are big stars that I don't know about. Like me and Russell were just saying, um, like the the main boss guy. Looks like we've seen him in like a bunch of things yeah. before. It's um, what's his name? Holding for Google. It's uh, yeah, Nils Erstrom. What else has he started? Oh no, it's Nils. Nils. Uh, he's um, he's in a lot of theater. He's in a lot of films. Yeah, he's had a career in. Anything? Both since the seventies. Anything we recognize? Uh, let's see. He was in uh, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly. No fucking idea what the fuck. Two years before no. a Prophet came out, he was in. Uh, he was in War Horse. War Horse. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the grandfather. Have you seen Gamora, John? Not yet. Italian indie gangster flake. Yeah, if you if you like a Prophet, I feel like you would like Gamora a lot too. Gamora was a really good flake. Yeah, I recognized him from. Uh, we're Googling, folks. Just hold on. Google. He's in a private affair from 2002. Okay. But yeah, I first saw him in The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Oh, okay. That was my first. Profit, great film. Uh, don't be scared to watch it. Uh, don't be afraid of the subtitles. That was definitely one thing that kind of hindered me from watching it for a while. was, oh, God, I'm about to sit through a two-and-a-half-hour mm-hmm. movie with subtitles. But since this is cinephobia, we're trying to dispel any fear, so do not fear the prophet or a prophet. Don't get it confused with The Prophet, which is a Christopher Walken movie about him being uh, an angel who comes down to earth mm. and kills people or something Gabriel, like that. Gabriel, if I recall. Gabriel, Gabriel, yeah. yeah. So, um, totally different. Two totally different films. Don't get them confused. Uh, thumbs up for me. Russell, you get a thumbs up? How many thumbs on a scale of thumbs, how many thumbs can we give? Um, we need a thumb scale. Yeah, we gotta have a thumb scale for this. We should probably have like or a maybe special a autophobic. Rating. Should we? How how autopho- How cinephobic? How cinephobic are you of this film? This? On a I scale mean, of one to one scared? to seven. <laughs> I, I I'll give it this five is, cinephobics. This this is uh, new. We're still trying to. Yeah, it's it's beta good. test this out. This seems like something you'd really have to watch a couple times to really get all that's. Um, it's has to offer, I guess, the symbolism and all that, but mm. it is long. It's two and a half hours long, and there are subtitles, so it's not kind of a casual thing you can no. just jump in, but it's very character-driven, and you get to see this character transform from, like, the lowest, just, like, helpless, has to do what he has to do in order to survive the underground crime world, so it's it's definitely good. And not only that, but you get to tell your friends that you watch a French film, so then they'll yeah. think you're smart. You get to be the fucking coolest guy when it comes to talking movies. Yeah, in your in your film school or wherever yeah, you're at. Exactly. John, uh, how many thumbs or whatever is on the? the uh, yeah, what is the? Oh, I don't. I don't know. What is the point scale? If if you think of a good one, then just throw it out there. Are we going thumbs up or stars or? We can do thumbs. We could. We can do um, um, razor blades since it's a profit. How many razor blades would you give it? Uh, how many how many razor blades do I have? Uh you got you got ten razor blades to ten, give it. Ten razor blades? Yeah, one being one being a very bad, like uh, and ten being very good. I would say ten is like a very, very rare score. Very rare, yeah. This you gotta film's, save that. The film's a, a nine razor blades. Really? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you take your you take your rating very seriously. 
So highly recommended by our editor, Mr. John Balin. Thank you, John. So Jeremy, how many cinephobes do you rate it? How many cinephobes or razor blades yeah. for for our profit? Ooh, that's a tough one. Again, it, it's like you said, it's one of those films which you kind of gotta digest. And... You have to prep yourself. You have to kind of get strapped in. Mm-hmm. And you might need a little time to meditate on yeah. on the film afterward. You know, we're ruminate. watching it right after we just watched it. Yeah. Meditate, ruminate. So yeah, thanks everybody for listening to our inaugural podcast for Cinephobia. I've been your host, JP. Russell, thank you for giving us our opinion. And uh, Mr. John Balin, thank you for introducing this wonderful Nine Razor Blade film to us. Thank you for having me. We'll join you all next time.